And we are live, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Crypto Gaming Institute. Today, we have the honor of speaking with a master of the visual aesthetics, the one, the only, Mr. Dan. How are you doing today? Doing pretty good. How about you? I'm doing phenomenal. Uh, for the people who don't know you, you know, I would love for if you could kind of give like a 30,000 foot view of like who you are, what's your story and, and how you really got to this space. Sure. So um, currently I'm the chief visual officer of, of Manticore, Manticore Games. We make a platform called Core. Uh, you can see it at coregames.com. Um, what we're building, it can be described as, um, you know, I, I guess a, a platform for, for creating and distributing and playing multiplayer virtual experiences. Um, another, I mean, depending on how familiar you are with Roblox, that's a really good analogy, except for, you know, obviously Roblox is kind of catering to uh, a younger audience. And we really set out to, to broaden our, the demographic and appeal of what's possible in that space. You know, creating games or any sort of virtual experience is really tough in its own right. Uh, especially multiplayer. Multiplayer just basically means you can't do it unless you're a huge studio with millions upon millions of dollars. And even then, it's a huge challenge. So we try to make that, uh, take all of that complexity uh, away and, and let you just focus on making fun, engaging experiences. So you can come to Core, make even just a world if you want to, focus on that. We have a lot of world builders on our platform uh, or, a, or a more involved game and publish it. And in one click, you can be playing it with your friends. It's an extremely fast iteration loop. So, so that's what I'm currently doing. Uh, my path here has been interesting. You know, I, I, I come from a pixel art background uh, in the mobile era of gaming. I kind of missed the golden age of, of uh, game development uh, with you know the Nintendo, Super Nintendo, and stuff like that. Um, but mobile has been interesting in the pre-iPhone era of, of gaming is where I started, where it kind of largely uh, echoed the history of gaming, but in fast forward. So it went through all the same steps that, that console gaming and PC gaming went through. And what are those steps, just to make sure we're all on the same page here? Oh, sure. Um, so, I mean, it starts off with, you know, pretty primitive graphics, you know, I'm not sure if you remember, like, you know, the games that we used to play on our phones were, you know, snake, right? Like literally one bit pixel art games. You can barely even call it art, right? Like they're just pixels. It's mostly honestly. color. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then it went into, you know, kind of like this eight bit era where we're making things with Okay. We have sprites, but limited colors and stuff like that. And then it went into kind of, okay, we have more colors available to us now. So now we can do pre-rendered graphics. We can make stuff in 3d, but then render them out as 2d sprites. Um, and then eventually we went to low polygon, uh, like real time 3d gaming. Uh, and now it's it's basically like the, what's happening on mobile phones is is almost indistinguishable from what's happening on on consoles. So it's it's been fun riding that wave in in fast forward. I love that. So how did you how did you end up on the visual side though? Like, have you always just been an artist or had an affinity for creating things like that? Like, how did you how did you know and how did you explore that once you did know? Yeah, I've always been an artist, you know, from from, you know, the earliest I can remember. I've always been drawing all over my homework as opposed to doing the homework kind of a thing. Um, did not uh, 
bode well for for me and my my teachers. Um, but but yeah, I've always been an artist at heart. Uh, how I got into the art side and gaming specifically is kind of an interesting story. Uh, I I I wanted to be a coder. I wanted to be a programmer for for games. And uh, in elementary school, they had these these scholastic magazines, and I didn't care about the books. But at the very back of page of of the scholastic magazine, there's always this small little section for software. And uh, one of one time that I, I had this. Um, one of the, the pieces of software that was advertising was Interplay is Learn to Program Basic. And it was advertising, you can make your own games. Uh, you know, Basic being one of the, the most popular languages of the, of the 80s. And it's supposed to be a very approachable uh, language for people to, to start learning on. And so I, I got that fully expecting that that's, that was my future. You know, I, I hadn't, it hadn't occurred to me that you could, you know, do that. Um, like I played games, you know, I, I was mostly a Mac gamer. But I never really thought that that could be a path for me. So I got super excited, got that that program, um, kind of bounced right off of it. It was like the first year. I was, I guess, a little bit too young for it. I, I couldn't quite grasp it. Um, but one thing that I I did do is like this this program uh, had a limited color palette associated with it. It was 235 colors, and they all have had predefined, uh, you know, English names like vomit brown or something like that. <laughs> uh, it was really silly, but what it meant is that in order to make good art for these games, you essentially had to do pixel art. I didn't know what pixel art was at the time. I didn't know that that's what I was doing, but I started making pixel art for these games. Uh, you know, collaborating with other people, uh, also using this. Um, the software. And uh, eventually I found online communities that were also kind of keep trying to keep this, this dark, dark art of uh, pixel art alive. Back then it was dying. Like it, it, people were forgetting about it. You, you kind of, it, there's been a resurgence recently where everybody knows pixel art and all of these indie games are using pixel art. It's very mainstream, but for a time in, in, uh, you know, the early 2000s, it, people were forgetting about it. And so it, there was this community called pixelation.com or pixelation.org, um, which I still help run today now. But um, so that, anyway, I started learning the craft there. It kind of used that as my art school. And eventually uh, there was one industry that was still hiring for it. And that was the mobile gaming industry. So eventually I ended up getting my first job uh, at Gameloft first and then moved over to Glue Mobile. And that's when the iPhone switch happened and everything kind of changed. And I've been kind of just, like I said, riding that wave ever since. I, I, did, I went from mobile. We did Facebook games for a while. I was working at a startup called A Bit Lucky um, doing Facebook games. We ended up getting acquired by Zynga and we switched back into mobile again. Uh, back then, it was the the big gold rush was this concept called mid core gaming, bringing less casual experiences to mobile devices. You know things like like MOBAs and stuff like that. It still hadn't been done yet, so that that was mostly what I was doing at at Zynga, and um, spent four years there. And uh, the same founders that that I was working with at a bit lucky reached out to me. Um, to say that they were going to do another startup, and I was the first person to say, "Absolutely, let, let's let's do this." And didn't we didn't know what we were building yet? It turned out that what we landed on is truly something that I believe is fundamentally, you know, amazing. Uh, um, but but yeah, it's been a, it's a been a fun journey on the way there. Well, I really hope your teacher who gave you shit about drawing on your homework <laughs> can see this interview now 
to really see how far you've come because you know I, I sure hope so too i don't think they're paying <laughs> too much attention to to uh, these kinds of podcasts though yet not yet but they will not yet <laughs> <laughs> so okay so you're you're in the art field seems like you then branched into um the gaming world and you get to bring this really cool education self-education of art and learning and pixel and bring that in the gaming world and then you team up with the and, and eventually get into the startup world team up with uh, the people who are you know they're like hey we have a startup idea and then at what point did you get introduced to crypto and the whole blockchain metaverse world because that seems like it's a going to be a really interesting story that i'm um yeah i mean i i think i became aware of crypto at the same time everybody else did you know at the start of bitcoin um it's always been fascinating to me i think the the initial appeal of of uh bitcoin in, uh, in particular was its use case as a currency specifically whereas um the thing that turned me off to it um like i never got into you know, mining Bitcoin or, or or trading Bitcoin or anything too much. I uh, just kind of watched in fascination. The the thing that mostly turned off uh, me off to it was how it was mostly speculation driven. Like it was it wasn't really fulfilling its promise as a currency that could be more stable than fiat, right? So um, that's not to say I, I you know I was opposed to it uh, back then or anything like that, uh, but it's mostly just me watching from a distance. And then as far as you know this broader conversation of crypto, you know gaming or Web three, that's a very recent realization that I've had. It's almost it, just in this past year that it's become something that we've been paying more close attention to and that I've been paying uh, more close attention to. Um, you know, I've, I've been aware of Ethereum and the idea that blockchain as a general purpose uh, crypto utility as a, that transcends just uh, currency applications, you know, like, and I've been hearing things a little bit, but yeah, just uh, the past few months, I decided, you know, there's so much chatter about this. This seems like a very transformative technology. There's a lot of people that are very polarized on the topic. And I just didn't feel like I was very uh, informed about it. So I, I, I did a pretty deep dive uh, and I still continue to. It's one of those topics where you can't ever stop. It's a, just this never ending right. rabbit hole. Right. Um, so I, even though I've been like hardcore looking into it, um, I still feel like I'm only scratching the surface. But I, I, I am starting to get the picture of uh, ways that it could transform uh, many industries as we know, but particularly gaming. I think there's a lot of interesting things there that that people uh if you don't look beyond the surface you're not going to see it kind of a thing i totally agree and i think it will become more apparent meaning if you do look at the surface you'll still see it um but then there's so much more it's just the tip of the iceberg like yeah you might see a little bit of it but the deeper you dive the more beautiful it becomes type of thing um so from the perspective of well you're working in the video game industry and you're working on the art side we've just seen this renaissance of nfts and art and just explosion of creativity how do you then like how does that translate into your day-to-day -day and and what you're actually doing building the games like you're seeing all this happen 
it's a part of what you're doing. Um, what does that actually look like though? Like, how does that, how has that actually influenced what y'all are doing, um, at Manicore and, and how you see this whole thing, um, of the gaming industry? Um, yeah, where do I start? I, I think it's, it's, it's absolutely fascinating. I'll, I'll start there. Um, there, you know, since my background is in art, there's this a definite uh, pushback from the art community specifically uh, against um, NFTs in particular. I think there was this kind of honeymoon period where people were dabbling in it in the art community and, and thinking, oh, wow, this is cool. I can this is liberating. I can actually earn a living off of my art in a way that you know, digital artists couldn't in the past. And, and that was appealing. But then the discussion switched pretty um, um, suddenly uh, on this topic of the environmental issues. And uh, then also this, this idea of, of just trying to, you know, suss out what is it that you are actually buying when you buy an NFT? Like, is it is it the art or is it a symbol of the art? Is it a receipt to, to the art? It's an interesting, it's almost philosophical that people uh, a lot of artists can't quite um, move past that that hurdle. Uh, so so anyway, so from an art perspective, it's you know I, I again I look on with fascination. I think there's problems to solve. There's things to to think about there. But what what I'm seeing and as I've been doing some research here is is that the topic really at least the conversation within the crypto community is not really so much about the art anymore. I mean, that's a, a component of it, but, but really it's about utility and, and, and you know, you, you ask anybody, you know, why does this, why is this particular NFT valuable? The first thing that they'll say and, and start talking to you about is, okay, well, all the different ways that it has utility. And I think the conversation is moving in that direction. And, and that's where it starts to be fascinating to me. Uh, that's where you can get some ob objective, uh, value to it. I still think it's super early. Um, a lot of people are, you know, it, it, it's not quite utility yet. What it really is in most instances is promise of utility. You know, every single crypto project out there has this, you know, roadmap page, you know, with a long list of things like that they might do one day. Mm -hmm. A lot of them are super aspirational. Um, and a few of the, the things that they do provide from, from the get-go, like it being an access token to communities, I think that's kind of table stakes kind of a thing. Uh, but the hard stuff, you know, most people aren't actually doing they're promising and they might not have the actual expertise to achieve it and i think that a lot of these projects are, are going to realize that they've signed themselves up for for more than they can handle and a lot of uh, people that are treating nfts as um, investment uh, vessels are probably going to get burned along the way you know investing in in these promises that don't uh, turn out to be true um, there are a few people that are doing it, you know, putting a lot of effort on executing on their promises, and that's interesting to me. Um, so, like how we look at at the NFT space, you know, from Manticore's perspective, it, again, it's something that we just keep a really close eye on. We're not really, uh, we don't have any plans to do anything in that space right now. Uh, but it's not hard to imagine uh, the the use case there, right? Like, um, unlike a whole lot of other projects in the same vein. Uh, whether it's you know the sandbox or or Decentraland or uh, Blinkos or anything like that, um, what Core offers today is actually like far far more utility 
than any of these platforms can offer. Like they, they're all promising, oh yeah, one at some point you can do something with your land. What are you going to do with your land? Eh, we don't know. <laughs> but uh, you know, on core, we you can today build these these virtual experiences, these virtual worlds, um, and and um, so like, I guess the utility side of the equation is is already solved, right? So. Um, anyway, th that's that's mostly our, our perspective right now is just keeping a close eye on the space and see how it evolves. I think it's so interesting because a lot of a lot of people are just flocking straight into the space and they're like, okay, metaverse, we gotta slap the metaverse somehow onto our project like a sticker, just slap it all over there to get investors excited about it and get more money in the door. It's interesting that y'all are almost taking the opposite approach of, hey, we're we know what we're doing. We've we've been doing this. We already have the utility there. We're watching it, but we're not like jumping into it to 12 feet first. Um, that that's really interesting to me. What would what would y'all need to see in order to then justify moving more into that space? Moving, you know. And, and maybe maybe kind of to contextualize, maybe you could talk about like, okay, more about the ecosystem and, and Manticore and Core and like break down like really what the offerings are and, and what the projects look like. Um, yeah, sure. I mean, there's kind of two different paths we can go explore here. There's the, the topic of metaverse uh, and what that even is, right? Mm -hmm because it means so many different things to different people. And there's a component of it that's not even crypto, right? Um, uh, and then there's the, the, the topic of, and this gets more into my personal opinions and not Manticore's you know, positions about um, what I personally value in, in, in um, making a, a sustainable future for crypto projects, right? Um, so, I mean, let's talk about the metaverse, I guess, first, I, I, I suppose, is a good place to start. Um, I think it's interesting that it means, there's a lot of things that it means, but I see mostly just two conversations happening. There's the crypto uh, space definition of metaverse, which relies, that, that mostly leverages as a main pillar, interoperability is the pillar for which defines most of the metaverse and then all other things kind of uh, orbit around it. Um, and then you've got uh, the kind of the, the centralized approach to metaverse uh, where it, it, this is the perspective that you see companies, large companies, Microsoft, Facebook, and stuff like that, uh, Fortnite. Uh, their perspective of, of the metaverse largely revolves around the pillar of immersion right um and they both have components to it and it will be interesting to see which side becomes more uh, or gets more traction first there is this interesting place where they kind of collide where they intersect the one piece that i see where they intersect is avatars um even though they intersect there they're very uh different in their definitions of what they mean by avatar. Currently in the crypto space, avatars means uh, profile pictures, you know, these baked out, uh, you know, um, 
limited series of, of whatever, you know, Board Ape Yacht Club or whatever. Uh, whereas on the immersion side, the people mostly focus on identity and representation and being able to express yourself, self-expression. And where that merger is, I think, is a really exciting space potentially uh, in the future of crypto and meta metaverse stuff. Uh, it, it touches upon something that I'm not seeing too much in, in crypto, which is this idea of, of uh, composability that's not quite seen. Um, and, and what does that actually mean? Right now, I, composability. I, right. So, I mean, I, I imagine instead of buying just one, you know, profile picture that, that speaks to you, you have something that you you can collect, collect items for, and and uh, it's like okay, I want this jacket, or I want this fashion, virtual fashion in in a, in a sense, uh, something where you can craft your identity while, rather than just subscribe to one. Uh, and uh, I, I think that is a more sustainable uh, thing in the future. Right now, the entire crypto space is very optimized for its current demographic, which is to say, kind of a it's kind of a small demographic still. I, I, it's kind of surprising to me how small it is. You look at how many unique wallets there are on OpenSea. It's, it's a surprisingly low number. Um, but so it's optimizing for this, this smaller demographic with really deep pockets, right? And so the, and also using a technology that is super expensive to use, right? So it, all of these things kind of are factors that that make it to where the only really viable thing to do is is what we're currently seeing. You know, these these uh, super scarce, like artificially scarce runs of of uh, picture, uh, you know, uh, assets that are treated mostly as investment vessels. Um, and I'm more interested in in the future of that, where where it's more sustainable for individual creators, like fashion, virtual fashion creators, or or virtual you know world creators, or game developers, and stuff like that, uh, where it's not so based heavily on scarcity, right? You look at these really cool projects, like the Loot Project or whatever. The floor is so high that most people can't get in. It's not a mass market thing, and even if you could get in. You know, like theoretically, like like you could buy in. Um, it's only for seven thousand seven hundred seventy-seven players, right? Um, it, I, and I know there's there's you know people trying to make that more broad, but just in general, that's where the crypto space currently is. It's catering to very small populations of people who are interested in finance, and I'm I'm more interested in bringing breaking out of that paradigm and and being more uh, mass. Um, market right like what what uh, does my my family who has no interest in crypto want to do in the, in the metaverse and how could blockchain technology uh aid in that in that world right does that make sense yeah i think it does and i think that's actually one of the biggest issues right now in in crypto and, and in the metaverse is that it's not really easily accessible to a lot of people I mean, I, I think I think about this all the time. Like, how could I get my mom into crypto? It would take a lot. I would have to have a video step-by-step -step guide, screen sharing, showing her exactly what to do. And I mean, she's a smart person, but still, it's just so, there's so many steps. There's, the on-ramps are just not, they're not cutting it at this point. And then once you get there, it's like, okay, well, 
first of all, where am I? What exactly am I even doing here? And it, it just feels like it's not this cohesive, really smooth, visually appealing journey at this point. It definitely feels like there's a lot of a lot of excitement, a lot of scattered talent and really cool things. But there's not there's not like a glue that kind of brings everybody together besides community, which is kind of like the only thing we have. So from your perspective, like what is the fix? I mean, I I think it's going to be through games and gaming, but we have a lot a lot to go there. But what's your opinion? Yeah, you know, in some sense, game and gaming is the one piece of the uh, metaverse that's existed for ages now, right? Uh, in one form or another, whether it's Habo Hotel or Second Life or World of Warcraft, they've all been the game version of the metaverse in some uh, prototype form, right? In some uh, early uh, f form. So we, we've got a lot of experience about what these social experiences can mean in terms of um, gaming. Um, but the, the thing is, is it's a hard question to ask, like outside of gaming, it's a hard question to ask even without the crypto conversation, right? Like, uh, Facebook, for example, you know, this, this put a lot of money putting this presentation together of what their version of the metaverse can look like. And still, I don't think they made a very compelling argument about what you're supposed to do or why, why is it better to do those things in the metaverse as opposed to our current paradigm of things. Most of it that they depicted is kind of um, the same stuff that we can already do, but with more friction, right? And if there's ever more friction, people are just not going to use it. I mean, that's what the web has kind of taught me over the past, you know, a couple of decades. You know, it, it's, it's a race to the bottom of removing the most friction possible. And those are the things that win. And the metaverse kind of seems like it's going in the opposite direction. So I, I think so answering that question is not this, even related to crypto. I think crypto motivates it. I think crypto has been probably the biggest in, uh, motivating force for adopting a lot of these things that we could have done all along. Like interoperability is not something that is exclusive to crypto, but it is motivating like like none other, right? Like it's people are putting real dollars and they are invested literally into the the idea that these assets should mean something. Uh, they just don't have a context quite yet. So I, I, I think there's a room to, to be able to leverage the momentum and passion that crypto provides, but you still have to answer the, the real utility uh, problem, right? Uh, what do you do? Why is it compelling to spend time in a metaverse space in the immersive sense of the word? And that's been kind of the largest focus that, that Manticore has been, um, you know, focusing on right, right now. So the, the biggest topic we've been focusing on, I should say, um, where when we started the company, it was mostly uh, about, I didn't even call it metaverse. I called it a multiverse, right? Because it, it's basically uh, a collection of, of game experiences that you can play and you can jump from game to game and you do have this persistent avatar that can you carry with you to all these different experiences. Um, but I, I didn't quite want to define it as a metaverse because they were still kind of siloed experiences. What happens in one game doesn't really influence anything from other games. And the only interoperable piece of it was your avatar, which granted, that is an important 
piece. I mean, that is probably your, the most important piece, your identity in, in these virtual worlds. Um, but but uh, we're realizing that um, there's a much bigger opportunity in this metaverse space and, and not focusing so heavily on gaming. And we think we, we've started to stumble upon the answer to this. Uh, recently, one of the things that, that kind of turned the conversation around internally uh, was we held a concert for uh, Dead Mouse. I'm not sure if you've seen it. Uh, it's something that I'm immensely proud of. And on, on some sense, concerts are probably one of the, the first things that people list when you ask them, what do you do in the metaverse? So it's, it's not like it's a great epiphany that we had uh, in a sense, but uh, the way that we approached it, I think, was was the th the, the key factor here. <clears throat> um, there's a lot of these virtual spaces that are holding these virtual concerts, and they're basically treating it like an analog to a real world experience. You know, you you log in, you with your character, you walk over to a stage, and you sit there and you watch the guy perform, and it's kind of a crappy experience, right? Like it's it's mm. like real life, but worse, right? That's the worst case. Not only is it more friction, but it's also a worse experience. Mm -hmm. um, so we knew that we didn't want to do that. We knew that we did not want to create yet an, just a, an analog of something that could be done in real life, especially a worse one. So we focused really heavily when we crafted this experience with, uh, in collaboration with, with Joel, uh, Dead Mouse, to make it something that can only be experienced in the metaverse. Right, there is no replacement for it. Um, you can look at videos of people playing this this uh, this concert experience. He he calls it Oberhosley. It's more than just a concert, by the way. Joel envisions Oberhosley to be his virtual space, his virtual metaverse of sorts, for which he wants to continually evolve and release content on and stuff like that in the future. Uh, but for the kickoff, for the for the launch of it, we we crafted this this concert experience, and it was I, I think we achieved it uh, better than what we even could have hoped for. Um, the sentiment from uh, his fans was just phenomenal. Everybody just loved it. Gaming uh, community tends to be a very tough crowd to please. They're very critical. I'm used to seeing lots of negativity. It, this was the exact opposite of that, and it, it opened our eyes to saying, wait a second. There are experiences that we can craft for people in in this broader context of the metaverse um, that is of soup of high value to them and in a way that they literally cannot experience it otherwise. And so you can find videos of this on YouTube if you if you want, and you can get kind of a sense for what you would get. Uh, get but even that is not uh, a great replacement for what uh, it's like to actually play through it. Which, by the way, it's it, it is live right now. If you go to uh, coregames.com and uh, search for Oberhosley, you should you, you should be able to find it there. And I would highly encourage everybody to go check that out. I'm a huge fan of Dead Mouse myself, so that's very <laughs> exciting. Um, actually, I think that's how I heard about uh, Manticore was through through that event. I mean, I was wildly impressed by just the sheer talent that congregated to to put that on. Um, yeah, well, what's I mean, also cool about it is that, you know, speaking to what we said earlier about core providing the utility, um, that normally a production like that, like Fortnite is known for their virtual concerts with, uh, Travis Scott and stuff like that. Um, 
they that was pretty much all hands on deck for them like pretty much every person that they could they had to throw at that problem they did and they spent untold amounts of money and effort to to make that happen but our tools are so good that we did the the majority of that work in just a couple months which wow. is insane and with just a fraction of the team that they had you know a tiny fraction you know we're still a startup we're growing but but nothing compared to you know epic right um so it really uh lends its or at least it validates the idea that that there's real utility for that for a new wave of creators to be able to create these virtual worlds and experiences democratizing that 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 creation process much in the same way that you can say that youtube democratized making video content right like anybody could that produce uh, video content now and it, and it kind of transformed what it even meant to be uh, you know a video producer um yeah i i forget where i was going with that well that, that's amazing it's interesting i feel like in the beginning kind of the beginning of our conversation it almost seems like in a way it it almost felt a little bearish on the metaverse and crypto at least right now maybe that's just more of like you're so deeply integrated into the space that like you see the problems firsthand because you're dealing with them and working with them every day but then i mean it, that's a game changer putting on like a, a metaverse fe music festival with dead mouse like when people just see that name they're like oh wow this is real that just brings so much credibility to it and it seems like you're pushing it forward at the same time i mean does that exist is that almost like some some sort of inner conflict or, or or tension there of like there's so many problems with it we do have so much work to do but at the same time we're pushing it forward like oh yeah yeah i mean it's a huge conflict we we it, at the same i mean maybe conflict is a strong word but it, it's something that is a tough problem right we we've stum stumbled into proof that that validates that it exists you know we we validated that broader virtual experiences can be valuable uh to to people but the the trick now is to how do we continue that what are what are more experiences that qualify in the same way and it's tough you know it's trying to say oh you can do your work meetings in a virtual experience uh, no i don't i don't think so right like it's how is that more uh valuable or, or easier or or whatever than doing a zoom call I mean, maybe there is a use case yet, but but it can't just be as simple as oh, but now you can do it virtually. Now you, it's immersive, right? I don't think that's enough of a value add. So you know, we're continuing to explore this, and we have a pretty uh, good foundation for what we think qualifies as something that that could be uh, fundamentally a more valuable experience in a real world analog. Just recently, uh, we the, you know the video game awards happened, and uh, we had a virtual. Um, collaboration with Jeff Knightley, right? Um, the, the host, he, uh, built a world in, in core called axial tilt, where you could watch the game awards in core. And then there's a bunch of virtual, like kind of mini games and experiences you can do while you're doing it. There's even a red carpet kind of experience for people going to watch this event. Um, so yeah, it's something that we're still ex exploring heavily and it, and it's just definitely not, uh, uh it's not an easy uh, problem to solve. So what's interesting is 
uh, I mean, there's so many interesting things here, but it almost seems like kind of that one of the biggest breakthroughs that y'all are finding and, and creating, it, it's not really coming on the game side. It's more coming on like the experience side or the event side around music or media of some kind where it's not necessarily like building a game that's like a per se but it's building an experience that can only exist in the metaverse right and i i think that is a very key thing that you're hinting at here one key distinction between traditional gaming and metaverse experiences which could be games but it could be something else this idea the, the key word is events right things that happen at a at a specific time that you had to be there to to experience it kind of a thing so when we launched the the concert experience that that's how it was initially it was a live thing that you had to show up for at a specific time same thing with the the game awards right it's it's an, a real well i shouldn't say real world event it's a virtual world event right it's it's a, it's something that that uh has importance because it's it's singular right and i think those kinds of experiences are very important to focus on a lot of you know metaverse games that i'd put in under that umbrella like world of warcraft or second life or something like that they had a lot of those types of experiences but games where it's like round based okay you go in you play around you win or you lose that's not very metaverse -y, right um so so yeah I, I think it can be games but but you're right that that um finding what kind of events uh make sense in the metaverse is kind of the 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 key to having this Cambrian explosion of of actually executing upon building out what the metaverse actually is. You know, it would almost be a super cool way to to bring all of that together. And obviously, I'm biased towards games. Started the Crypto Gaming Institute, so I'm pretty yeah, <laughs> totally biased here. But I could almost see like an event. And I'm thinking back to back to wow days they used to have like the annual fishing event or something where they would have all these super cool prizes and different cosmetics and different bonuses and, and it was a big to do but there could i could almost see a world where or multiple worlds where different games could almost intersect at a period of time where let's say it's two shooting games right like two call of duty-esque games well maybe they have like a humongous war between the two player bases where it's like, all right, this game over here meets this game. And there's like a neutral territory where they all meet and they're trying to go conquer that. And they like fight each other. Maybe that's how the event experience could be ported into games to push that forward. It's, it's somehow you get what I'm. Yeah. What I'm kind yeah. Of I get it. I, I think that's a, an amazingly good insight. Yeah. Um, and, and that's what we're actively trying to build out. It's like, how do we break away from individual siloed game experiences and provide creators tools and APIs to be able to have things that, that persist not only across game sessions, but games themselves, right? And this is, you know, one of the aspects that, that crypto focuses heavily on by default is this idea that, that of, of, uh, interoperable ownership, right? Like the things that you do in one let's say DAP for, uh, is something that you can leverage somewhere else. Now, again, mostly it's based around financial uh, devices like like uh, investment and trading and, and stuff like that, but it doesn't have to be. And I'm excited by the prospect of, of what blockchain could provide gaming um, in that sense, right? Like it touches upon a lot of the same stuff, these, these transcendent interoperable 
pieces that can that can go beyond any one ex, uh, experience. So, how far out do you think we are from like a AAA game experience, living solely in the metaverse and really getting to the point where you're like, wow. This is what we've been waiting for. I think we'll all know it when we really see it and we're in it and we're, I think it's both immersed in it and being able to take it other places. I think it has to be both like the interoperability and the immersion. I definitely think those have to come to meet at some point, but like, how far do you think, how far out do you think that'll be? And who do you think is going to be the first one to really get there? It's, it's, I mean, that's a, Tough, tough question to to answer. I, I think it's it's going to be it's hard to answer because I don't think it's going to be a binary thing. Like I don't think it's going to be, hey, we made it, you know, kind of a thing. It's going to be one of those incremental things, uh, much like what I talked about with my experience with mobile gaming and how it kind of went through the same steps and fast forward and it just got better and better and better and better. Um, I think that's what's going to happen here. Um, the Fascinating thing about crypto is that it's excel. It's like uh, jet fuel in this engine um, it, because it, you know the financial motivations are influencing uh, the adoption of it, the corporate adoption of it, um, extremely fast. Um, it's basically the topic uh, of discussion behind the scenes of every major company. Um, there are triple, of course, AAA game companies included, right? So they're probably going to do stuff with crypto, but is it metaverse, right? And and, mm. and then there's other people that are focusing on metaverse, but is it like a triple A game experience, right? It, it the problem partly is that metaverse is such a ill-defined term, like I talked about earlier. People focusing on different aspects of what it is that I don't think it it is going to be uh, easy to tell when we've achieved what you just said right it's going to mean something different to different people we won't even know when we get there <laughs> yeah, yeah <for> sure. <laughs> that's hilarious well i want to i want to thank you very very much um for for all of your time this far um just have a couple more questions for you then, then sure. we'll start to wrap it on up um but i've i've asked a lot of people you know what does the future look like and one of the things that uh, has kind of been like a recurring theme is a lot of people have just said, it's going to be weird. We don't exactly know how it's going to be weird, but it totally is going to be from, from the art perspective. I know we kind of just talked about it in the macro, but I want to drill down into the art and in the, the aesthetics of it. Like what's, what is that going to look like? What are you most excited about for the future of the art side of all this? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, now we're touching upon, you know, <laughs> my actual day to day, you know, the stuff that I actually get paid to do. Um, it's a, yeah, it's a great, great question. And one that we're trying to solve or have been trying to solve for, uh, or I would say successfully solved for, for a while now. Um, there's an interesting story about it. So when we, so, so making video content is somewhat easy. You know, you have a, you have a camera, there's software, very easy software to use. Uh, you throw your clips together and you can go deeper as deep as you want into it and uh, into more and more layers of complexity. However, making game content, 3D game content is still insanely technical, right? It, it, I don't think we can have this mass uh, creator economy of virtual experiences 
if uh, creators aren't more um, liberated to make 3D content, right? It, in a different paradigm than what is expected of them today, where they have to know about normal maps and skinning and, and all these different, you know, technical jargons and stuff. Um, so that's one of the things that, that Core set out to solve, right? So the way that you create in Core, it was important to us, like we wanted to be, in some sense, a higher fidelity Roblox, right? Something that, that like you look, you take one look at Roblox and you kind of dismiss it. It's like, oh, that's just a child's play thing, right? Like it doesn't appeal to me. Um, and so we wanted to be more um, appealing to the AAA crowd or, or the people that are aging up out of Roblox initially. Um, so aesthetics was always a, a, a super important part. And I, I didn't think that we could achieve it if we just let people import whatever model that they wanted to right from 3ds max they just download something from turbo squid or something and and just like they do in roblox you can find a million polygon lamborghini right next to this you know four polygon <laughs> cube character or whatever um and there's just no cohesion and cohesion was an important part for me in order to um have this idea where it's easier to make something good something that looks good than it is to make something that looks bad. So what we did is like the initial hypothesis was, well, we'll just give them a whole bunch of pre-made assets, you know, that are high quality. We'll make those assets for them. You know, we'll make an AK-47, we'll make a car or a couch or whatever it is. And from the very start, when we did internal game jams, we realized that it had the opposite effect. Uh, by giving them these high quality assets, um, we actually drove the overall uh, quality of the platform down in, in an interesting way. And the reason was, you know, it's in hindsight, it's kind of, kind of obvious, but if we didn't give them the very specific asset they wanted, then they're going to reach for something else that is, you know, crappier. They're going to reach for a cube primitive or a sphere and, and try to make a better approximation of, of what they wanted. Um, and it was a, a situation that's unsolvable. We can never make all the content that everybody wants, period. So the approach that we ended up taking was Kitbash. So instead of providing a you know individual prop that was you know um, like fully assembled and made and beautiful and all this different stuff, instead it's going to be a Kitbash set to make any kind of weapon. And we have this amazing material paradigm that you can apply any material to any object and it retains its uh, that model's original you know normal maps and stuff like that. Again, kind of getting into the technical weeds here, but there's a lot of proprietary technology under the hood that makes this a magical experience that you just don't get in other um you know 3d software right so you can now it's almost like a lego approach to 3d modeling and that's why we were able to make the this dead mouse experience or any experience on core super quickly super efficiently because we have all these parts and you just kind of assemble them and you customize it and you get these really compelling experiences now i don't think that's the full answer right that's the that's for the the, the casual user you know, we still need the the hardcore creators that are interested in making their own models, their own characters, and and stuff like that. And we plan to continue to open up the platform for those types of creators. Where if you want to be, if you don't want to subscribe to our specific, you know, avatar paradigm of, with our uh, character proportions, okay, upload a snake, you know, uh, or whatever it is that you want to be. You know, that should be possible in the future. And likewise, if we don't quite even have the kitbash sets you need to make the kind of virtual world that you want, then you should be able to, to do that too. But it, that will be supplementary to the tools that we already provide you today. So um, anyway, long story short, um, 
having this new paradigm for for creating art in the metaverse, I think is important in order for the metaverse to succeed. Otherwise, only the true experts of the their fields are going to be the ones producing this content, and it's not going to scale as well as we envision it to. So you're telling me that we can build world-class art through the platform, but we can't turn those into NFTs? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not not right now. We don't, again, it's something we're keeping a close eye on. But you can, as you can tell, there's, there's obvious... Uh, connections here it's it's easy to see the possibilities there and and it's something that uh we are super aware of let's put it that way because i think there's there's like a tremendous population of people who have the idea of what they want to create but they don't have the ability to actually execute on that from the technical perspective and it sounds yeah. like you're solving that like that is the that's the problem that you're solving. That's really the thing that you're tackling. Yeah, and not just from the art perspective, but also from the virtual experience perspective. You know, it, it, like I said, multiplayer is one of the most difficult things you can do in game development, and it's just a click of a button <laughs> on our platform. So it makes all these things, like potentially all these exclusive, um, you know, communities, these access token based communities, uh, something that might be more compelling on core. You know, we'll see. So what happens if there, like, let's say there exists an NFT community with 10,000 characters and they're like, okay, we have the lore, we have some of the starting graphics, we have our characters, we have our player base. We want to create a virtual world where we can then play and exist. Can they, or is it, is it feasible to expect in the future or feasible to hope for in the future that they can then port what they've already done into the platform and then build the world from there, from where they're starting. I think it's possible for sure. Uh, I, this question kind of gets at the heart of what interoperable actually means in the virtual world context. Um, a lot of people get hung up on this saying, well, from a game design perspective, this is totally not scalable. You can't support any NFT under the sun in your game. Uh, because things are balanced different ways. And even the representation, how they're depicted. How are you going to represent your 2D JPEG as a 3D model in your game? Are you going to make everything? You know, anyway, I, I think that's overthinking the problem. I think uh, interoperable does not mean interoperable with everything. I think interoperable means the opportunity to be interoperable. So like if somebody uh, was compelled to make uh, a virtual experience for like Board Ape Yacht Club or whatever on core, well then, okay, they'd have to put in the work to make what the representation is of those assets in, in this new context and give them new functionality or something like that. But, um, but the, the, the interoperable component of it is the, Again, the NFT as an access token, right? It's it's something that says yes, you do or you do not have this thing, and you have permission to use this thing in this other context. So um, we already see this a lot in in this space, where like the the loot project was the one that opened my eyes most to this paradigm of people like these assets just exist out there, and he had no intent to develop um, a context for them, in, and he 
specifically was encouraging others to do so. It, it truly is like the first test case of what interoperability can actually mean in practice in this, you know, crypto metaverse universe. Right. So it, it's, it's fascinating to me. I think I, it's absolutely fascinating. I actually have a, a dream of one day, all of the different games, there's, there'll be like portals between them and you can like hop into a portal and from whatever like game a that you're in you can go all the way to like game q and you just you just pop into that new game and you then exist there and you can keep playing and it's totally seamless like from one to the other there almost has to be like a universal translator that would kind of help like okay you have these stats in this game and that equates to these stats in that game and then the visual, the rendering has to be different. But like, you know what I'm saying? Like, is that is is that not the dream though? Like, I mean, that, that's kind of what we're doing, right? Like, if you load up Core today, you you get that experience, right? You can uh, load the first thing you load up into in Core is kind of this hub world, where we we surface a lot of the the top games of the day or various events that we're doing in the in the metaverse sense. And you literally walk through a portal, just as you describe, and that suddenly you're in this new context. And there's you know different rules that apply in this context. And, and there are some transcendent pieces, namely your character. And we, we again, like I described, we hope to make more and more pieces uh, of the core experience transcendent beyond the character. Um, but yeah, that, that's what we, exactly what we aim to, to achieve. That is our dream. Absolutely. Well, that is something that we share in common. I mean, I, I, I think that is going to be so powerful for gaming and for the world. And yeah, I'm just, I'm excited. How far do you think we are from that particular, um, that particular functionality being widespread? amongst not only and maybe it's not even in the plan but well, actually i guess that's another question is is it in the plan to allow other universes and other games to then have like almost like a bridge into the core ecosystem or is it going to be its own kind of its own thing right 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 now what we're executing is is kind of this our ecosystem. It's kind of a closed ecosystem. I can imagine a world in which where it, it becomes broader than that through use of, of treating it like a standard. Like right now we have a level format and we use Lua. There could be uh, a world where it's, you know, uh, clients interpret that same spec, that same specification uh, in the same way that browsers interpret, different browsers interpret HTML and JavaScript, right? It's just a different one that focuses on 3D assets. Um, that could totally be a thing that happens in the future. Right now, we're focusing on, on making that a cohesive experience in our own ecosystem. Um, and then again, we don't have plans for this right now, but but just me you know, speaking for myself, that uh, I think that's one of the things that NFTs do provide, right? It, people forget that NFTs are more than just images, right? Like they are, they can be anything. They, they, they can be full-fledged applications uh, themselves. Um, it's smart contracts, right? Right, With special uh, functionality on them. Um, that could be the piece that you can plug into. That's actually the one thing that people miss about blockchain, I think, um, the most, which is it's more than just a distributed database. It's also a, an open API by default. And that's the most fascinating part to me.
It's one of the things that Web 2.0 promised and for a time almost started to, to achieve, right? Like there, for a time, everybody had these open APIs and people were making these really cool emergent apps by mixing this API with that API and stuff like that. And then almost overnight, it all shut down. It was just a very strange thing, but you can't do that with, you can't shut it down on, on blockchain. Every single project that's up there has an open API and you can read who has what. And, and it's, it could produce these emergent experiences um, that, that uh, potentially even something like Core could, could recognize, oh, you have this thing over here, you know, that means something over in our in our world kind of a thing so that's what i was saying about the translator that mm -hmm. there almost needs to be like this universal translator and maybe it maybe it takes it from the metadata of the nft itself but then it has to almost be able like it has to in, be able to interpret and then replicate or like regenerate as in the new in the new place where it's going yep so yeah i think that's going to be a that's going to take somebody much smarter than myself to, <laughs> to figure out, but uh, I think well, I mean, I see two nice. separate approaches. It's it, there's a standards approach to inter interoperability. Get everybody on the same page into to implementing the same spec, um, and then you can have things like that happen, or you have opt-in interoperability. Those are the kind of the two separate paths in in my mind. Uh, you know, Loop Project is is uh, exploring the the opt-in and. Uh, you know, NFTs themselves are a specification that are exploring the standardization uh, approach. And I think they both can play with each other in interesting ways. I think so too. So I want to, uh, again, be very respectful of your time. Um, what question should I be asking you that I just wouldn't think to ask? <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I, I have no idea maybe maybe you can ask me uh how can i play core right now leading question uh but yeah it's something that that i am super passionate about i do think uh has the potential to truly change gaming as we know it i think we have such a head start compared to everybody else in being able to achieve a lot of the stuff that people only dream about or are only promising um, and it already exists today, right? And um, so I encourage everybody to, to check it out. Um, again, it's coregames.com. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Dan, for coming on the show. I uh, really, really appreciate your time and your insight. This has definitely been um, one of the more interesting um, conversations on, on the whole show because I think a lot of people get swept up into being ultra bullish and they're like, yeah, crypto, there's no problems. There's nothing wrong with it. We're already there. And I think here it was really interesting. Like, despite I think what I'm hearing is macro bullishness, there is some short term concern of like, hey, we have a lot of things that we need to do. We have a lot of work that needs to get done. There are a lot of things that are just not smooth, not clean, and not ready for prime time. So I appreciate you. Uh, given us a, a dose of the reality from uh, from that perspective. So thank you very much. Yeah, absolutely. It was nice talking. You too. Well, everybody, thank you all so much for tuning in wherever you are across the world, across the meta world, no matter what time or age this is. This is in one trillion years from now. I hope things are awesome then. So anyways, take care, and I'll talk to you all in the next episode. Thanks. <laughs>